morning again. Welcome again to everybody. It's I always look forward to Sundays when I get to see all of you. Um, for those I haven't met yet, my name's Jenny. I have the joy of getting to serve as one of the pastors here. And it is great to get to worship together. Thank you to the worship team for leading us this morning. A couple of months ago after church, a group of us went out to lunch together, and I think that day I counted 11 of us at a long table, and I remember during the meal, just I just paused and looked down the table and just in my heart had this, this deep joy of God that God had brought us together, that we got to worship him together, that we got to be friends and to serve together and to love people together. And we were um, not a very uniform group. We were from different places, different life experiences, different ages, different language backgrounds, so many different things about us. Um, but, but we were all together worshiping God, enjoying one another's company, enjoying being God's children together. It was not a picture of uniformity, but it was a picture of unity, and it was so powerful. You know, we've been going through this sermon series on the book of Romans. We've almost reached the conclusion of the book of Romans. And this week, the topic that we've landed on is unity, that we're inviting God to stir up in our hearts a passion and a hunger not for uniformity, but a passion and a hunger for unity. Would you join me in prayer as we enter into this morning's message? God, I thank you that you have brought us together. I thank you for each person who's here today. God, that in your love, you've given us one another as your family, as your your body of Christ, God, that we can worship together, that we can love people together, that we can be friends and family to one another together as we serve you. God, I pray for this morning as we go into your scripture again today, God, we invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us about your kind of unity that you are inviting us into, God, that you are inviting us to hunger for, and your kind of unity that that you are bringing about here in this place as we all together worship you. God, we thank you, and um, we open our hearts and minds to how you will be speaking to us this morning through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Romans, it's written by the Apostle Paul, this um, hardcore, intense, passionate follower of Jesus. He was once a persecutor of Christians and then had an experience where he met Jesus spiritually and became a Christian himself. And ever since then, he was on fire for God, just teaching people about Jesus and helping people uh, learn how to live um, as followers of Jesus. And it is so striking to me that in, his, in Paul's words to us this morning, that passion is present. But there is also um, a gentleness and a tenderness. There's a love for the people. There's an understanding that I sense in Paul. As with passion, he, he expresses acceptance and tenderness as he leads us and invites us into unity. So we'll be diving into Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 1. 
Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. And Paul asks this rhetorical question, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And Paul has this incredible reassurance to us all that they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. To understand what in the world Paul is talking about here, we need to go back about 2,000 years to the city of Rome after Jesus has has walked on earth and ministered and died on the cross and risen from the dead. And people have come to follow Jesus, and they've begun to form churches where they are worshiping together. And there are people from different backgrounds. There are Jewish background Christians and non-Jewish Gentile background Christians, and they are all worshiping together in one church in the city of Rome. And what it seems is happening here is that there are different customs that the different groups hold to be important. And it appears that there's been some tension, some conflict maybe, as these different groups of Christians struggle to learn what it means to live together, not in uniformity, but in true unity with God and with one another. And so it appears that some of the Christians, maybe mostly the Jewish background Christians, have maintained some of the Old Testament dietary laws. There were rules about what food was considered clean or unclean. And it appears that, that these Christians were holding on to those rules, and they were concerned about the food that they were buying in the marketplace. And so they were being careful not to buy meat that might possibly violate the Old Testament rules. And they were doing this faithfully because of their faith in God, because of how they wanted to worship him and serve him rightly. They were doing this. On the other hand, there were other Christians in this church who maybe had been so deeply impacted by Jesus's message of freedom. They knew that Jesus had declared all food clean. And so these Christians felt that it was, it was actually an expression of their faith that they were able to eat what was sold in the marketplace without worrying about whether or not it met the requirements of the Old Testament food laws. And these Christians as well were doing this because of their faith in God and actually in worship of God. And so we had these two different groups of Christians in the same church together doing two different things and each feeling the conviction that, that this was what they needed to do. And they are coexisting in one church. And Paul is speaking to them, inviting them to learn how to live, not in uniformity, but in unity, together in this one church. I was thinking if we fast forward 2,000 years to today, even this week, we have something very similar to what that church was experiencing. Coming up Wednesday, we have Halloween. And some Christian families will provide alternative ways to spend the Halloween evening because of the, the reality that Halloween 
has some very dark things associated with it. So some Christian families, in their faith in God, in their desire to serve him and to worship him, will provide alternative activities for their children. Other Christian families will take their children out trick-or-treating, dressed up, enjoying the company out on the street, one of the few times in the year where they can meet their neighbors and talk and chat with people that they don't often get to see. And these Christians also do this in their faith in God, in their worship of God, in serving him. And so in so many different issues, we have different groups of Christians with different convictions and customs invited by God to live together in unity and to serve God and love God together in unity. I've been doing a lot of thinking the past several weeks about my own rule list. What are those things that I feel that Christians can't do or that Christians shouldn't do? Or what are those things that I feel Christians should do or I feel Christians must do? And I've been realizing that if I'm honest, I have a lot of things on my personal rule list. I wonder what your personal rule list looks like if you pause and think about it. I've been thinking about politics. I've been thinking about um, issues of sort of remaining whole, like living a holy lifestyle. I've been thinking about personality things. In so many areas of the Christian life, I have a personal rule list. And I feel that God's been inviting me to learn what it means to truly accept my brothers and sisters, even when people might break my personal rule list, and to invite my brothers and sisters to truly accept me, even when I might break their personal rule list. Paul starts out these verses, accept the one whose faith is weak. You know, I think from my perspective, my beliefs, I think, are strong. (laughs) Maybe from your perspective, your beliefs you think are strong. I think that's human. We think that our beliefs are, are right. That's why we hold those beliefs. But Paul is saying us to, to us to accept those who have a different type of belief. Not to treat them with contempt, which is a looking down on them, thinking that they're so foolish, thinking even that they're worthless. Not to do that, not to look down on them with contempt. And not to look down on them with judgment, thinking they're so wrong, thinking that they're in sin, thinking that they're not good Christians. Instead, he's inviting us to accept one another. I think back to middle school. Do you remember um, middle school, junior high, out on the playground, you'd be, there'd be like some kind of game like dodgeball or something going on, and there would be like team captains, and they would pick people, and eventually you would have to end up on some team. Do you remember that experience? <laughs> that is not acceptance. That was always a, a painful experience of some team captain ultimately saying, okay, I guess she can be on my team. (laughs) That's not acceptance. For acceptance, I think of welcome. I think of family. I think of what happens when I visit my my brothers up north. I think of my, my niece, Annie, who when I walk in the house, she immediately grabs my hand and pulls me over to the art supplies, and we thought we start doing art projects together. That feels like acceptance. I think of my, 
my nephew, Jason, who when we got back from summer camp this summer, he, um, his family had just bought this amazing 3D printer, and Jason wanted to print something for me. And I'd never seen a 3D printer. He wanted to make me something, and so we did that. I think of my niece, uh, Riley, who at summer camp wouldn't let me go to sleep because she wanted me to keep reading more and more chapters of the book to her. I, so when I think of acceptance, I think of welcome. I think of knowing that you're wanted, that you're valued, that, that people truly love you and want you to be there with them. And Paul is inviting us to accept one another as God has accepted us with that welcome and that love and that wanting of us to be with them. So Paul continues on. Let's rejoin his words to us in verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. He shows us a different way. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. Paul expresses his opinion about that original issue of food. He says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Jesus had declared all foods clean, and Paul knows that. But, Paul says, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's their conviction, and it's unclean for that person. Paul says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. And he has these, these painful, powerful words. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. We know that Christ lived and ministered and then was arrested and tortured and died on the cross that we could be accepted by God, that we could be a family of God. And Paul is saying, don't by your eating, don't by something like that, destroy someone for whom Christ made that sacrifice. It would be such a huge loss over food. I mentioned my nephew, Jason. Jason does parkour. Are some of you familiar with what parkour is? I wasn't until recently. It's this crazy um, gymnastics slash movement where there are obstacles, um, platforms, bars, blocks, all kinds of obstacles, and you run and jump and spin and flip and swing and do all these movements to get through this incredible obstacle course. Paul says not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And I think about what it would be like if I had to do parkour to make it through the Christian life. <laughs> if the Christian life looked like having to climb over obstacles and try to do flips that I didn't know how to do and try to get past these different things, if that was what the Christian life was like, I wouldn't make it. And Paul is saying, don't put those blocks or obstacles in the way of a brother or sister. There's an interesting, powerful play on words that Paul is using to make his point. 
the play on words only works in the Greek, the original language. Paul says, stop passing judgment. And that word judgment is actually the same word used in make up your mind. And so he's actually talking about two kinds of judgment. He's saying, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, use your best judgment not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister, your, your family in Christ. Again, I think about that personal rule list of mine that could be such an obstacle and a stumbling block to brothers and sisters of mine. And again, I've been catching myself. My rule list has been getting longer the more I think about this scripture, and I'm catching myself and inviting God to um, dismantle my rule list so that I won't put stumbling blocks in the way of brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul continues on. Let's rejoin him again in Romans uh, chapter 14, verse 19. He's been telling us what not to do. Now he's going to begin to tell us what it is he's inviting us to do. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace, and to mutual edification. Edification is a building up. He says again, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. That's a tearing down. All food is clean. Again, Paul's clear on his own belief, but it is wrong, he says, for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Again, the parkour analogy. Let's not not cause our brothers and sisters to have to do parkour just to to follow Jesus. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or your sister to fall. There's a story in recent weeks that has captured my imagination, and I brought a photo connected with this story. Did any of you hear about this story, this crazy, weird story. So (laughs) this is a painting, or was a painting, called Girl with Balloon. It's made by this quirky, famous artist whose identity isn't even really known. No one knows who he is. Like, he's kept himself hidden. And this work of art, this masterpiece, got auctioned off recently and it sold for over a million dollars and there's this incredible video where you can see um you know these very wealthy people um like making the different bids for the work of art and then the bidding closes and it it gets sold for over a million dollars and they're getting ready it was actually the the final piece of art in that auction and so they're getting ready to um, do whatever happens next and then suddenly, right there in the, the place where the auction was taking place, the, the painting begins sliding down, and it begins shredding, and that happens to it. The artist had built in a shredder into the frame, and there was somebody in the room who pressed a button, and the painting began falling down and being shredded. They said that the name of the painting got changed after this. It's no longer called Girl with Balloon. It's now called Love is in the Bin. (laughs) 
And maybe you might wonder why I'm sharing this, but Paul said, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, the body of Christ is a masterpiece that God has created, (laughs) that God loves dearly. It's a priceless masterpiece. And Paul is saying, don't destroy this masterpiece of God for the sake of food. Paul would say, don't cause it to become love is in the bin for the sake of food. Don't destroy this masterpiece. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall and the masterpiece to be destroyed. These are challenging words to us from Paul, aren't they? I think of all that's going on in our world today, all the causes of disunity all around us, and Paul's inviting us to this way of unity. And so Paul speaks words of encouragement and blessing over us to help us be able to do this hard thing that he is inviting us to do. And I want to pick up those words of blessing in Romans chapter 15 at verse 5. This is really a prayer that Paul was praying for the church in Rome and that he's praying for us as well. May the God who gives endurance, a strength that lets us persist, may the God who gives that endurance and encouragement, that hope, that that growing bigger of hope, may that God give you and me the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice, you and I may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I view this next verse, verse 7, as our key verse for today. Accept one another then, that sense of welcome, that sense of true family. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. It's incredible words. Accept one another the way Christ accepted us the sacrificial love that Christ showed us, accept one another like that. In order to bring praise to God, powerful words that how we welcome one another can bring praise to God. And he says that we should have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. There are incredible words from Scripture from another portion of Paul's writings that I want to read to you. They won't be on the screen because I want to just invite you to let these words soak into our hearts. But these are words about that attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had from Philippians chapter 2. I want to invite you, even if you would like, to just close your eyes and let these words let these words come and soak into your heart. Paul says that we should be like Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
And I would say amen to that description of Jesus' attitude and what God is inviting us into. A couple months ago, we as Orange Coast had the opportunity to attend an event that was called One Voice. It was a night of worship and prayer, and the whole theme of the night was taken from this scripture that we've just read, that with one mind and one voice, we could glorify God together. And thank you, there was something very special that took place at that event and leading up to it. One voice took place here in Costa Mesa, and many of the churches in Costa Mesa came together to worship and pray together. We were all given crosses ahead of time where we could write our church's mission statement and some of our prayer requests, and then we brought these crosses to the event on the night of the event. And they all got placed together, and we have a photo of what that looked like. Isn't that beautiful? It's a masterpiece. It's God's heart. The churches in Costa Mesa in unity, worshiping and praying together. Our church is there. We are just about in the middle towards the very top. You can see Orange Coast with a heart and our mission of no grow and overflow, to know God more, to grow in his love, and to overflow with his love. There is a church that has our cross now, and they are praying for us. And they'll be praying for us for this whole year. And we have a cross from another church here in town. It's called Redemption OC. And we'll be praying for them throughout this year. This past Tuesday night at Worship and Prayer, we took some time to pray for them. And I want to read you what Redemption OC wrote on their cross. And I want to invite you to be praying for them throughout this year. So Redemption OC exists, they wrote, to create redemptive communities that embody resurrection life for the healing of the world. That sounds just like us. We are united. We're brothers and sisters united in following God. They requested prayer for an increased outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They prayed, they'd like prayer for excitement, for engagement with mission. They'd like prayer for growth in their middle school ministry. They'd like prayer for wisdom, for leadership development. And this final one touched me. Um, It goes to the heart. They want joy. They want prayer for joy that they could carry it all lightly. Thank you so much. And I would invite us to be praying throughout the year for this church and to know that around Costa Mesa, there is a church praying for us. This is the unity that God is inviting us into. It's big. It's glorious. It's amazing. It's challenging. Again, it goes against our personal rule lists. I'm sure that if I looked long enough at Redemption OC's website, I could find something that I disagree with. (laughs) But I need to put aside that rule list and let God work this unity in us that is not uniformity, but is his beautiful unity. I believe the unity is a preview of his, of heaven, of God's kingdom, breaking in here on earth and letting us experience a little bit of what that will be like in heaven. I want to go even bigger picture with this unity. Jesus, at his final meal with his disciples, spoke about unity. This was his last meal before he would then be arrested and tortured and go to the cross and die 
a horrible death and be deserted and betrayed, but then be raised from the dead. And Paul, or excuse me, Jesus at this last dinner with his disciples spoke about this unity. In John chapter 13, Jesus is at the table with his disciples, and this is what he says. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That loving of one another is that unity that we're talking about. And Jesus says these amazing words that in our unity, in our love for one another, the world, everyone will notice and will know that it is because we are disciples of Jesus if we love one another. Later at that same meal, Jesus begins to pray to God the Father. And he prays a long prayer. And in that prayer, he prays for you and me. He prays for all believers. It's found in John chapter 17 at verse 20. Jesus says, My prayer is not only for my disciples sitting here with me today, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now he's praying for us. We've believed in him through, through that message. That all of them may be one, that unity. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's an incredible picture of unity. I think it's bigger than I can fully comprehend, the unity of Jesus with the Father and the Holy Spirit, but then also the unity of Jesus with us and of us with one another. It's big vision, but I think that um, it is incredibly powerful that the world will know that the Father has sent Jesus, that the way the world will know that is through the love and through the unity that we are able to walk in as we receive this invitation to hunger and thirst for unity and to follow God in this unity. I want to close with one quick final story. This story takes place around the world in Caracas, Venezuela. It's a true story. I heard it recently through reading a book um, connected with a missions organization that I'm a part of. It's a story of an 18-year-old named Caligallo, and Caligallo is a, a uh, street ruffian. He's a robber. Um, he's violent, he holds people up at gunpoint, and he terrorizes the slum where he lives and where this mission team lives. Everyone on the mission team was robbed by Caligallo, some at gunpoint. And one day Caligallo got shot and was in the hospital. And the team members, because of what they had been learning about the love of God and the unity of God, decided to visit him in the hospital. So they went to Caligallo's room in the hospital, and they prayed with him, and they asked that God would spare his life. And God did, and Caligallo was back out on the streets, continuing, continuing to terrorize the neighborhood. And the team kept reaching out to him. And one day, a couple team members went to visit Caligallo outside his home. His home was a shack. His mom had died in that shack years ago, 
And Kalagala lived there, semi-homeless, in a shack that was on the edge of a cliff with big gaping holes in the shack. The shack was falling down, and Kalagala lived there alone, in hopelessness, in pain, terrorizing the slum community. And the team visited him there, and once again they prayed for him there, and they expressed God's love for him. They expressed miraculously that God was for him, that God cared for him. One of, one of the team members' friends, a Venezuelan, had his shoes robbed by Caligallo. Caligallo held him up and took his shoes. And this man felt convicted to reach out to Caligallo as well and went and brought him fruit as an expression of forgiveness and expressed that forgiveness to him. And this story does not have a fairy tale ending because Caligallo got shot again, and this time he, it was deadly, and Caligallo died. But in this story, we see the power of the unity of God, that a, pain, a, a person filled with pain and hopelessness, with no family, with, with nothing to live for, could experience the love of God through these team members who reached out to him despite how he had stolen from them. And in that unity and love of God, they were able to express the beauty of the kingdom and to show God's love to this person. And that is the kind of love that God is inviting us into. I want to pray for us, and then we'll look at the weekly challenge and go into small groups. So would you join me in prayer? God, your kind of unity is different from ours. It's not uniformity. Your kind of unity is filled with your love, this sacrificial love. And I confess that I don't, I don't understand it fully, but I want to. God, I ask that you would stir up a hunger for us, a hunger in us for that kind of unity and love. That as we love one another, that love would overflow to the world, that it would overflow to our community here in Costa Mesa, that it would overflow to the world. God, that we could even have the opportunity to love people who break every rule on our personal rule lists. God, that we could have the opportunity to love someone like Caligallo, the way that you have loved and accepted us. God, I pray for us all in the days ahead would you stir up that hunger? Would you reveal our personal rule lists? Would you help us to lay those down for the sake of loving one another in your kind of love and unity and acceptance? God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a look at our weekly challenge. You're welcome to pull out your cell phone if you'd like to take a photo of this. I want to invite you this week to memorize our key verse. It's short, it's doable to memorize it, and it is packed with power. So this week you're invited to memorize the key verse and reflect on the three parts of it and see what God does as he speaks to you through that verse. I want to invite us to read those two passages from John that speak of the love of Jesus and speak of what happens as we are united in love and unity. And I want to invite us in overflow to find someone in our lives who breaks something on our personal rule list and find a way to accept that person 
and prayerfully do that. We're going to take just a few minutes to begin talking about these things in small groups. I want to invite you to talk about the, the first section on, on knowing God more through Romans 15.7, and we'll be taking just a few minutes to reflect on the three parts of that verse for our lives. So at this time, find a few people around you, and let's take a couple minutes to discuss that verse and reflect on it for our lives. Have a great time in your small groups.